Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. We are so glad you're here, whether you're a regular part of North Point, whether you're just kind of checking it out North Point, you're kind of in and out, or whether maybe it's your first time. We love it that you're here. We're in a series that's called Woke, Finding Jesus in the Fog. And uh, we've got a special treat today, a guest speaker named Doug Rutledge, who's got a long connection to North Point. He is uh, the president of Crossroads Farms uh, in Southern Michigan, uh, an organization that, that helps rural teens connect with each other as they try and follow Jesus together. Uh, you're going to be encouraged by what he has to share because he's talking about finding Jesus when you're irritated, which is an incredibly cool concept. And uh, I'm just uh, excited to, to hear him speak today. If you could, we would love to know that you're watching today. So if, if you're a part of North Point, if you could take the North Point app out, go to the Let's Connect tab and uh, just let us know that you're watching today. That, that would be a big help. You can let us know if God's doing something in your life. Uh, if you need it, any kind of information, that would be great. If you don't have a North Point app, could you send a text to 94090 and uh, have the body of that text say, Guest NCC, 94090, Guest NCC. We'll send you a link and you can do all those things as well. Before we jump into the message, uh, I, I want to encourage you to do one other thing, and that's to, to give back to God, to give of your finances, not because we need the money, but because we personally, especially at this time in the, in the midst of the whole COVID crisis, we need to be givers. Um, it reflects God's heart and it helps us have perspective. And so I want to encourage you to do that. You can do that electronically by sending a text to 77977. 77977 and uh, and just put NCC give and uh, we'll send you a link and you can do that. You can set that up to do that on a regular basis, one-time gift, whatever. But we need to do that as part of our worship. Got one last thing before we jump into the message and I want to let you know especially because, uh, because this is um, going out virtually and that's beginning on November 1st, the first Sunday in November, we're going to launch a new service at North Point at 8.30 a.m. We recognize for a lot of people there's this tension between wanting to come together and experience worship and, and preaching firsthand, uh, live and in person, and concern about the number of people who are around and maybe people who might not be wearing masks and all that kind of thing. So we're, gonna, we're going to launch a, a, a service at 8.30 a.m., that's going to be kind of a test case that we're going to do for the month of November and just see if it meets a need. Um, at that service, uh, we're going to ask people to wear masks from the time they come in until the time that they leave. We're going to have a shorter service so there's a less kind of exposure time for, for people. We're going to remain seated while we sing. Uh, we're going to do a number of things that will just help alleviate some of that tension for, for many of you that I know have been concerned about whether you can come in and, and just feel comfortable in, in the context of a corporate worship service. We hope you'll join us for that. We're going to try it out for five weeks in November and see, see if it meets a need. And uh, if so, we'll keep it going. If it doesn't, uh, we'll go ahead and stop it at that point. But we hope that you'll do that. I want to turn it over right now to Doug, who's uh, getting ready to start the message, Finding Jesus When You're Irritated, and uh, be blessed. Well, good morning, good morning. 
I am so consciously aware of the front rows. I'll tell you, um, since COVID, this will be the only COVID joke that I make. Um, and because I'm afraid, I'm afraid to make any kind of joke about anything. But, uh, I was in a conversation and I was talking and a piece, just a little bit of spit, just, you know, one of those projectile spit pieces came out. And I, I was aware that not only did I see it, but everybody tracked it like airborne pathogen, airborne pathogen, just panicked. So you're brave. Thank you. I don't think I can spit that far, but that's okay. I'm not going to try. Uh, good morning, and thank you for uh, inviting me back. I love being here. I was uh, I was talking to Rick, and I said this church represents about eleven years, uh, even at the beginning of Crossroads Farm, where you sustained us, and that was uh, multiple ways. You did that through prayer, you did that through friendship, and you certainly did that through uh, financial support. And during those years, we relied on my speaking. So you can imagine how lean it was. Uh, <laughs> and we would, uh, we would, you know, go places going, Lord, make it a good offering today because we're in trouble. Um, it's just true. Um, Crossroads Farm has changed since those days kind of a lot. Um, but we're still doing the same thing. Today, at the end of the second service, I will probably have to rush out of here pretty quickly, um, partially due to the, the environment that we're in now, but really more precisely because of decisions we made that we needed to make anyway. Um, we split programming. So we do two programs on Sunday. The first one, our, our staff starts gathering right after church, and then uh, we go into a junior high program. That's over at 4.30. I still don't have the times down, but it's uh, over at 5. I think it's over at 5. That's when I'm ending anyway. And um, and we get done. We clean the building. We do this bus transport swap. We're running buses all over the place. They're dropping kids off, picking up new kids, um, cleaning buses. It just is a monolithic effort. And then we run a high school program after that. So on Sundays, we're busy here. But we're not just busy in one location. We're actually busy in many locations. Uh, this week, um, this past weekend, uh, Calcasca Northwest, Crossroads Farm Northwest, ran their second ever murder mystery. And um, we're taking precautions, but there's just the reality that kids want to be together. And so we, we let them. Uh, we we still patrol the places where people go to get too close, um, but <laughs> and we break them up into groups. But but uh, they had 125 students who came out to the last murder mystery in Kalkaska. It's just their second year of existence, and it's pretty fun to watch that happen. Um, and I, I'm excited. I'm excited about what God's doing. Um, we're in what I would call a uh, an 18 month, if there is such a thing, an 18 month countdown um, towards our opening Harrison County, and that's God dependent. It really is not dependent on finance, but dependent on people. We still are looking for an administrative director, and we've told people we're not praying for somebody who says. Well, I guess I can do that for a while. We're praying for the person who's desperate, desperately asking God, please, Lord, where can I use my gifts and abilities? I, I'm this type of person, and we know that that person is out there. We don't just need it one time. We need it many times. And so when, uh, when I'm talking about that, uh, Harrison County will open, and already we're taking calls literally from across the country. So we just received a call from a woman in, in Missouri, and she said, so I was scrolling around a website, and um, 
and I saw you, you guys, and I started to, to dig deeper and deeper and deeper. And she said, and I, I just, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed with emotion. She told us about her town and she said, we're, we're in a position where we need something like Crossroads Farm. And so we began a conversation with her. Uh, this last week, I spent some time in Wisconsin, uh, outside of Eau Claire, in a rural belt across the middle of Wisconsin. And pastors in rural Wisconsin are already talking about how they can converge using youth ministry as their hub. And we've been invited into that to be their uh, youth ministry. Um, talking to people all across the country. I keep on waiting for the call to go to Hawaii, but... Um, but in lieu of that, we'll go, I guess, to Lamont, Kansas. That's every bit as good, I'm sure. <clears throat> we uh, we made decisions in March like everybody. I, I don't know that everybody made decisions. A lot of people decided uh, that they were going to wait until normal started. And I'll tell you that we never felt the comfort to do that. We said we need to make, uh, we need to make nimble decisions. It's something that we'd kind of prided ourselves on. And so we began to pray. We knew that we were going to split program, but essentially that made tons more work. Uh, we began to meet daily with our staff online because we didn't know what this all was. And so we began to make uh, close um, uh, close meetings happen all the time. We wrote over 1,600 personal letters to students in our community. That takes a lot of time. We made over 100 and something visits to kids' porches where we'd just stand outside their house and talk. And that was just in the first couple months. Uh, and then by the time we got back together, we got uh, we were doing doing the online thing, but our numbers were too big for Zoom, which was amazing. We, everybody was telling us, well, it's not working. And we said, well, our problem is that we have so many people, you have so many pages on Zoom, you can't get to everybody. And so what we were doing is we were linking with YouTube and people were watch partying with their carousel. So they would go, they would do a Zoom call with their carousel, and then they would YouTube to our Zoom call so they could watch it all. I don't know. I don't know how it works. I, I never was invited to one of those watch parties because, well, I had a watch and I didn't know if it had anything to do with that. I know a couple other things. Uh, we, uh, we really determined that if we were going to split our programming, we would need twice as many staff. We would need more buses. We would need more bus drivers. We would need more community volunteers. And the truth is it was, it was insurmountable to think about that. Well, I'll tell you, we just got back from our training retreat and uh, where we take our volunteer staff from our communities and our volunteer team showed up at Miracle Camp. Um, there were over 90 of us. Actually, a number of us couldn't show up. This year at just South Central, there are over 50 adult volunteers who have committed to five hours every week working with students. We leaned hard into one-on-one -on -one and personal uh, discipleship. We learned uh, how to do small groups more effectively. And during the summer, our Bible studies became very, very important. And, uh, you know, we came to the point that God wasn't asking the church to wait until it all got back to normal. But instead, he was saying, I'm in this, and I want you to learn this. And so we sat back and we said, what does God want us to learn? What have we been negating all of these times when we've been so self-sufficient, when it's been so easy? And so those are the decisions we made, and God has just blown us away with his faithfulness. I'm blown away by this. This is exciting that you guys are together. Thank you, because I love real faces. 
I love faces. Well, not all of them, but yeah, I mean, I like variety, so it's good. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you for risking this. I talked to pastors who have told me our congregation is gone. They remerged and they said, There's, there, we don't have anything left. Rural pastors that don't know what to say. And so we've stepped into that. This has been a busy time for us uh, because we had um, not really any time. But I'll just tell you, God has opened doors. And in just about 10 days, I'll be speaking um, uh, for the Billy Graham Center and the Rural Matters Institute with a guy named Ed Stetzer. And I'll be doing I guess I'm the only youth guy that thinks the rural matters uh, because I'm the de facto youth guy in the country, I guess. That's what it means. I don't, I don't know. What I, mean. I don't know. Here's what it actually means. It means the last week we played uh, Ultimate Frisbee with a cow tongue. That's what it means. That's all that means. And I will tell you, it's a riot to watch, but I'm not sure I ever want to play. My dogs were happy, though. They left the tongue on the ground, and uh, I don't know where it went after that. This weekend, you can be praying how we are hosting our 21st annual uh, murder mystery at the farm. 21st annual. Over uh, the last, I don't know how many years, we've seen something like 7,500 students attend that event. We're looking forward to seeing 500, 600 kids from our area. And uh, it's a corn maze, so again, social distancing will be strongly encouraged because we don't want kids running off alone. (laughs) Actually, we're encouraging that they stay in groups with adults. (laughs) Just... We don't know what happens when they get back there. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about all of this. Besides these things, we're changing hats every day. We're praying for the next, and we're praying that God continue to move us forward because God is not a sedentary God. There's nothing in all of the gamut of Scripture where God steps in and says, hey, let me help you tread water just a little while longer. He doesn't. So I I was thinking about today, and I was thinking about the concept of annoyances, and I thought, how ironic that I would have the, uh, the, the topic of God in those little irritations, those annoyances. I have friends who tell, who, who tell me all the time that they're absolutely shocked that I find something annoying or irritating, because I tell them everything that's annoying and irritating in my life. In fact, I was convicted uh, over the last couple of weeks about a passage of scripture that said, don't complain. That was it. No out. No, just lower it. You know, keep it down. Complain less. That's not what it, it just said. No complaining. And I'm like, well, that's hard to work with. I mean, I need a gradual walk up to righteousness. And I, so, I, you know, I was convicted by it. And in the middle of that, I thought, man, what does irritate me? So I wrote it down. And that's helpful because I know we have limited time. Let me define annoyance really quickly. Annoyance starts with the concept of infuriation. I start there, so does the dictionary. So apparently I'm good. Exasperation, vexation, indignation, impatience. A thing that annoys or irritates, or an irritant, a source of irritation, a source of vexation, inflammation, or discomfort. Anybody feel like that's their life these days? I am telling you, when you take your mind off the distractions that we used to have, you start finding that everything else is an annoyance. In fact, uh, we're very close uh, friends with the sheriff in our community, not because he's arrested us many times. (laughs) 
Although, you know, maybe. Um, but uh, I, so uh, the sheriff and I were talking and he just said, all we do, all we do is domestic, uh, domestic violence right now. He said, from the time we check in to the time we check out, that's all we're reporting. We don't care if people are stealing stuff. We can't, we don't have time to get to them. And he wasn't joking. He said, the problem is that everybody has been around everybody a long time. And in rural communities, we drink a lot. And because there's so much alcohol and because there's so much uh, substance abuse, there's a lot of other kinds of abuse. I'm irritated a lot. I find that, uh, that my, my entire soul has been irritated to the point of inflammation. I'm so overly aware of little things. Anybody else in that boat? So I took time to write it down. I'm going to go as fast as I humanly can. Here's my list. I really am only annoyed by cars. Mostly the way people park them and drive them, like too slow making me wait, or too fast whipping by me like they're the only people on the road. Or the person that passes you, and then 12 seconds later you pass them, and then they whip by you again. And then 12 seconds you pass them, and you're on cruise. Or the people that honk or flip you off or give you dirty looks or can't drive on snow or in rain or at night or on ice. Or the people that tailgate you and texters or phone callers or fly swatting children smacking window rolling threats to my driving safety. (laughs) But that's really the only thing that bugs me, just cars. Except when they don't work and then it bothers me that it doesn't work. But that's really it. I only worry about cars and food. Food, mostly cars and food, but mostly because of the way it's served. I mean, here's the deal. Like when they bring you an appetizer that you've been waiting for for about eight hours, and then they bring you your meal six seconds later, and then they bring you your bill six seconds after your meal. Now you have all this food that you feel compelled to chow down on, and when you give them your card, they take it into the back room, and heaven knows what they're doing with it, because it takes them 48 minutes to bring my card back. And I think, what are they doing? Running my bill up on Amazon? I'm going to get stuck with all of those solar light panels for my walkway from Wish. Or when you bring food that's so hot that you can't eat it, or when it's so cold you wonder if they froze it before you got there, or if they cooked it in liquid nitrogen. Or food that looks good, but it's not good, like every buffet I ever go to, where you get in line and you're thinking, that's delicious, and then you wonder, what did they do to the food in the back room? And I wonder how hard it is to get my order correct. I wonder why they can't keep the mushrooms and onions off of my sandwich. Do we have rogue veggies just waiting to jump onto my sandwich? Are there kamikaze vegetables somewhere in the kitchen that the chef can't control? Listen, Mr. Chef Man, get your vegetables under control and keep the onions and mushrooms off my sandwich. And the giant squish elephant that's trained at absolutely every fast food restaurant that sits on every bag before they hand it to you, (laughs) except there's no ketchup in it. And I really wanted ketchup, and I wonder where's the ketchup, and I think, oh, I know, they're protecting it from the giant trained squish elephant. But that's all that bugs me, just food and, and cars, food and cars and clothes. But only those three things, only food, cars, and clothes, those are the only things that bug me. Like, I don't know why I can't buy something that makes me look like the model wore it. I don't know why things that I buy in the correct size don't fit. I hate when clothes get stretched out because I put on a little weight. I hate when they don't stretch on because I'm going to put on a little weight. 
I hate when they get stretched out, but they don't shrink back because I took off a little bit of weight that I put on. I hate clothes that look good on you and bad on me. I hate clothes that are really, really cool, and so I buy them in the six seconds that they were really, really cool, and then by the time I get them home, they're not cool anymore and they look stupid, but I bought them. So now I got to go back and return them. And they ask me what the problem is. And I say, oh, I don't know. Nobody saw the buttons this big. We're going to go out of style. <laughs> but that's it. Just really close, some food, cars on occasion, or sports. Okay, so sports sometimes bug me. Sports like, why is every coach a little bit dumber than me? Why is every referee out to get my team? I mean, the real question is, why did my team lose when they should have won? Why did your team win when they should have lost? I mean, clearly, why can't these guys dribble? Why can't they shoot? Why can't they pass? Why can't they hit? Why can't they stick handle? Why can't they do anything? And then the Lions... It's always the lions. It's always the lions. But mostly it's people. I'm annoyed by people. Only a few. I wrote it down. I complain, I complain about people that are always late, always coming early, or have to be on time, making me be on time. I hate people who take too many selfies, and people who take too many selfies and say that they don't take too many selfies. I hate people that take bad pictures of me, and I hate people that don't take any pictures of me. I hate people who are always smiling, and I hate people who never smile or laugh or show any emotion, or, or people who are emotional or dramatic or boring or over the top. And I can't stand close talkers or quiet talkers or fast talkers, slow talkers, loud, obnoxious laughers, people who are always crying, people who ignore me, people who point out my mistakes like coaches, teachers, ministers, family members, friends... That's really it. Well, not really. I, I can't stand people that are always posting pictures of them working out because they're fit. I hate people that are thin and say I'm fat. I can't stand people that are fat and dress like they're thin. I can't stand people who just, who just are constantly looking. I, I, that's it. Just those people. Just hypocrites and annoying people. I feel better now. Except that actually you don't, and I don't either. See, what I believe about uh, an annoying spirit is that I take my own annoyance too seriously. And the problem is, honestly, that God is aware that the irritation, the person working in the back room of every fast food restaurant might have something going on that's more serious than my sandwich or my ketchup packet. And the fact that the person driving is swerving all over the road may be trying to keep his marriage together by drinking. Or maybe, just maybe, the person who I'm buying clothes from really needs that job, but I don't care about them. See, the problem with irritation, it is completely self-absorbed. And I find that it keeps me circling around things that I can't control. The real problem is me. I'm a control freak because I want everything to work out. I'm entitled to the good things in life. I can't stand this whole season. I, 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 I can't stand the annoyance of it all. I can't stand people who have different opinions because I am intrinsically selfish, self-absorbed, self-righteous, self-determined. 
I, I was uh, reading about this, and when I saw the word irritation, I thought, wow, there's too much. I sum up. Here it is. In Acts chapter 16, read with me. And I'll read a good part of the passage because I think it's interesting in its wholeness. Acts 16, we're going to read about 20 verses here. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. This is Luke talking. Who had the spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune teller, uh, telling she followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out. I just want to stop for a second because there's this interesting scenario. Why was it a problem that a demon was saying these men are from God? And I'll tell you why. Because everything that they would do then would be under a microscope. And I think that Paul realized the intention was to distract. The intention was to keep this focused on the men and not on the mission of God. And I find that irritation does the same thing. So Paul becomes greatly annoyed. He turns and he says, come out. And the demon comes out. No more free publicity. But his problem's not over. And I've said this a million times over the last probably five years. It doesn't matter if I complain about it. It doesn't go away. I believe that complaining and irritation is just simply popping the zits of anger and and insecurity. I I might get rid of the evidence, but there's, there's a festering infection underneath. Verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they were just users, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And they, and when they brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Bold-faced lie. Verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. That's very specific. They came for the beating. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I want to stop the passage at this point, and I want to say, it is interesting to me that the trouble compounded on top of trouble. It went from simple irritation to false accusation to beatings that they didn't deserve, and being thrown into a prison, I wonder how badly they felt about their fast food coming a little cold. I am irritated because I have no more consciousness of the bigger things of God. And I find that the more I lose track of who God is, I become irritated by the little things and Satan loves the little foxes. I'm so distracted. (laughs) Everything bugs me. Keep on reading. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, verse 26, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. 
But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He and his entire household came to Jesus Christ because Paul and Silas failed to do the most basic human thing complain under duress. I wonder if this world is waiting for a church that rises up and says, God is in this, we are victorious, and we represent Jesus Christ who loves us. I've never found an openness like I am finding now because people want to talk about anything but a pandemic. I even hate the word. I want to come up with some kind of new phrase that means pandemic, but that'll get overused. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I'm so amazed at God's intention because God's intention in this difficult time, and it is difficult. Many of us have lost people. It's difficult. It's tragic, but it's no more tragic than life. And in that, Genesis 50 verse 20 rings out. Joseph talking, as for you, you meant evil against me. Everything that Satan sends to keep us distracted, everything that Satan sends to keep us from doing what we're supposed to do. And we are attributing this to him instead of saying, God's in it. Where? Where? As for you, he meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And I'm going to tell you that whatever God is at, whatever God is doing, I know he's in it. And I need to figure it out because I want to be in it with him. Jesus is working even when we're irritated. And the irritation might end up in, I don't know, in Paul's case, pain, prison, jail, stocks. Americans are so irritated. We spend over $2 billion a year on antacids. $2 billion a year to keep us from eating ourselves alive from the inside. We are absolutely irritated. I, uh, I was preparing for this and I realized there's almost no conversation you can have that doesn't spark tension, right? Certainly not talking about the election. Uh, I'm not talking about anything because I, I'm not sure where it's going to go. And, and so we circle around on things we can't control and we keep on spiral, spiraling and spiraling and spiraling. It, Here's what it says in James 4.1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? I become selfish. I become self-absorbed. I become obsessive. I become difficult. I become angry. I become hostile because I don't have anything else going on. But this is the point. I'm supposed to have nothing but Jesus going on. I'm supposed to have nothing but Christ maintaining my thought. I'm supposed to have nothing but Christ bringing me peace because nothing but Christ does bring me peace. 
And so I waste my time in complaining and arguing and being irritated. In Job uh, chapter 3, verse 26, this is Job speaking. We know that he had it bad. In fact, I think most of us would probably take what we've got right now compared to what he had right then. And by the way, if you're one of those pocket theologians that's going to say, oh no, don't use Job because it worked out for him in the end where his family that was tragically crushed in a, a bizarre accident and, and then raiders came and stole everything else, well, he got it back double. I'm like, does that really work for you? <laughs> Listen, he says, I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. This is the generation that we are going to speak to. We are Christians who are speaking to this time. We are called for this time, for such a time as this. The body of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us is for such a time as this. And we need to be bold because our world desperately needs it. We need to get back together. There's no question, but people want to be safe. I understand that. So we do whatever it takes to to allow them to come into fellowship, whatever it takes. Here's the deal. When I'm irritated, I'm just wrecking my brain. It's really true. In his uh, brilliant social commentary, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Blink. And in that book, he, he refers to our facial muscles. And what he says is this, that your facial expressions actually shape your emotion. You're like, wait a minute, that's backwards. No. We all believe that our faces show our emotions, that's true, but it's only half of the scenario. What they discovered in uh, in study after study after study is that if you are forced into a position where you smile, in other words, if you clench something between your teeth, you laugh more, you smile more, you find that your uh, acid reflux is reduced because you have something clenched between your teeth. Now, your dental bill will probably go up, but... but you'll be in a better mood about it. Smiling actually improves your disposition. And I am amazed. We are angry all the time. We are frowning. We're scowling. We're looking mad. In Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, it says this, and uh, thank you for, for quoting it. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. An irritated spirit, and I want you to hear this, comes from an aggravated heart. It is not a condition of something else that is irritating me. It is instead the fact that I am aggravated, that I'm not at peace with my God. Meditation, prayer, worship, fellowship, quiet before my God. So uh, I need to lean in and stop wrecking my brain, but I need to do something to fix what God's laid in front of me. To put it in God's words, (laughs) to him who knows what to do and doesn't do it, it's sin. For us to know that we carry the emotional well-being of our culture, that we bear the hope of an eternal God, that we are carrying peace that passes understanding, for us to not actively engage in our culture and offer those things, God clearly says, don't call yourself a righteous believer. You're a sinful son. You're a sinful daughter. You are not bringing 
what I have given you to carry for such a time as this. I'm so irritated, though. Uh, It's interesting. When we do think about what to do, I need to lean into praise and prayer. I need to. Because there my my heart finds its solace. Again, studies have demonstrated that I actually can rewire my brain to think the right thoughts, godly thoughts, peaceful thoughts in the middle of turmoil. I need that. Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 25, and this is the promise, and I probably have to end with this, so I will. Ezekiel 12, 25 says this, because I, the Lord, will speak whatever word I speak, and it will be fulfilled without delay. Did you hear that? In other words, God, who is sovereign above all things, says, when I speak, it happens. Let me ask you, church, what are we praying for? What are we begging God for? Could it be that we have immersed ourselves in irritations? Could it be that I'm so interested in winning a political debate on Facebook that I don't have time to win the soul of my friend? Could it be that I'm so agitated that they got my food wrong that I don't have time to reflect Christ to the person who's serving it to me? Could it be that in the middle of this desperate, desperate time, and by the way, it's been worse Could it be that God is calling his church back and saying, this is inconvenience. And in a time of preference, what you need is conviction. In a time of drama, what you need is hope. And is it possible, is it possible that in lieu of of struggle, we've locked on to our little annoyances? And my answer is, sure. Instead of grace, we offer judgment. Instead of peace, I offer my opinion. Instead of endurance, I desire comfort. And God says, I must break you before I mold you. And he is both breaking and molding, and then breaking again, and molding. And I believe this, that this is the church's greatest moment. Can I pray for you? Dear Father, today we we sit here and we're glad We have each other. We have you. Lord, your spirit ministers to us. But Lord, I, I feel like we've turned a deaf ear. We aren't hearing the things that are breaking your heart. Satan has done an awfully creative and good job of keeping us centered on things that keep us from serving you thinking about you. Lord, I pray that as we leave here, we don't just go back, but we go in to our world. 
And Lord, that we bring you with us. Speak to us and speak through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us? Count on one thing The same God that never fails Will not fail me now Won't fail me now In the waiting The same God who's never late Is working all things out He's working all things out Yes, I will Lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. Oh, my days. Yes, I will. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. Won't fail me now. The waiting. The same God who's never late is working on things out. Working on things out. Oh yes, I will lift you high. Yes, I will. 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 Y
Man, we serve a God that we can give all our praise to. We will see you next Sunday.